0: What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at y'all with another episode of our SEC in 30 Days theme. We are joined by Texas A&M Insider and the Managing Editor of Good Bull Hunting. I love the name, by the way. Great website name, which is the Texas A&M SB Nation site. Robert Behrens is joining us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Absolutely, man. Pleasure to be here. So, man, we got to start with last season. The 2020 season was a great one for the Aggies, um, and they finished 9-1, huge bowl win over North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. They made a strong push uh, for the Aggies' first college football playoff appearance. There's an argument to be made. They should have been over Notre Dame. But for you, did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations?
1: I mean, I think for an Aggie fan, I think you have to say that last year was an unmitigated success. Um, you know, especially given there was so much uncertainty with COVID and, you know, so many of us, we didn't know if there was going to be a season at all. Um, let alone you didn't know how that was going to affect the players. Cause you had, you know, guys opting out, you had so many different protocols, you just, you know, there was so much uncertainty throughout the entire season. Um, it was a season I think a lot of AM fans went into with high expectations. Um but that said, you know, it really was kind of that I feel like that prove it year for Jimbo Fisher. You know, I had said early on that that year three, you know, it's not to say that, that year three was gonna show us what his ceiling was gonna be, but that you had to see that progress if you see AM show that potential to be an elite team. Um because, you know, in so many other instances, whether it's from Nick Saban to Debo Swinney, Les Miles, even Jimbo when he was at Florida State, um, by year three, you're seeing those teams start to, like, have those 10-win seasons, have, you know, start, like they're challenging for, for a conference title. Um, so that was something I think A&M fans wanted to see. Um, and while, you know, we, you know, we didn't make it to a conference title game, we didn't make the playoff, um, I feel like given everything else that went on last season, given the fact that, you know, at the end, the end of the day, we only lost to Alabama. Yeah, it was a blowout, but they blew out a lot of people. Uh, so, um, but yeah, going 9-1 and one in a crazy, crazy year. Uh, and like you said, finishing off with that Orange ball win, finishing in the top four, I think it was A&M's highest finish in, in about 50 years. So hard, hard to have any complaints overall about that season.
0: Right. So I mean to kind of wrap up the twenty twenty so I gotta ask you, if it what was the toner on AM did or and what was your personal opinion? Do you think AM should have got that playoff spot over Notre Dame at that number four seed?
1: I mean, I'm obviously far from an unbiased opinion, but I thought <laughs> it, I thought that they deserved it only because, you know, yes, AM and Notre Dame both only had one loss both of which were pretty convincing losses, but A&M's happened in, in week two following like months of uncertainty and, you know, on the road against Alabama. Um, Notre Dame's happened two days before the selection committee made their decisions, you know, at a neutral site. Um And so I certainly felt like A&M should have been given the nod there. Um, but I mean, it really was one of those, you can make the case either way. I'm sure, you know, Notre Dame fans would be adamant that they're the ones that deserved it um but certainly as an a m fan you know or a fan of any team, when there's a legit case to be made that you deserve it, and I think there was a case for a and m you're always going to feel like that you you wish you would have gotten that shot, even if you know we know we would have gone up against Bama again, there's a good chance they would have won, but I mean you always want to have that shot at
0: a title. Right, I think there was arguments made for. I mean, we had a we had a Notre Dame player on the show who said, he, "Like just just like you said, he he thought they should have been in." A and M thinks they should have been in. Cincinnati thinks they should have been in. And when we had Oklahoma on the show, they thought they should be in because as being the conference champion. So we got four teams that all think they should have got that last spot. But I want to move to a player that I don't think there's been a player that has drawn as much emotion across the country is Kellen Mond one week. I mean, it's like this kid's unstoppable. He's going to be the next great thing. And then one week later, it's this guy needs to be benched. This guy's terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kellen Mond had it rough and I feel so sorry for him because it's like the, bl- like the wink could blow a wrong way. And it was Kellen Mond's fault a certain week. What was, what's his legacy going to be at a and and what do you think his NFL potentials could be? um i think ultimately like you said
1: he was a guy that as far as what your impression of him was what his legacy is going to be was hard to nail down because you would have those those crazy games and we had the game in 2018 you know where he almost he almost led us to an upset win over clemson you know in like the second or third game of the year um he led us in that crazy seven overtime game against uh against lsu where i think it was literally his last like like seven pass attempts of the game were all touchdowns, um, and so he showed you those flashes of just absolute greatness. Um, but like you said, would follow that up with with games where you know he's like he can't hit the deep ball or he's not making good decisions. Um, and so I think Anand fans certainly got frustrated with him at times, and that's just and part of that's just you know the growing pains of seeing a guy evolve on the field because and I think ultimately that's going to be his biggest legacy because he's a guy that he got thrown to the wolves. Essentially his first game as a true freshman was that epic collapse against UCLA, uh, to open the season in Kevin someone's final year. And so to see him go from that where, you know, he was every bit, the true freshman really not ready for that moment, um, to, you know, what he helped lead AM to this past year with going nine and one, um, and in that orange ball victory, I think that's going to be his legacy. Ultimately is uh, is just kind of being a big part of that culture change that, that we've seen in A&M and hopefully in that turning A&M into a contender instead of just, just an also ran as far as, um, as far as NFL potential is concerned, I think, I think he found a great landing spot for him because um, he's definitely a guy that he has a lot of the tools, but he's not NFL ready at this point. I think he needs a little bit of work. And so he goes somewhere where, you know, you've got Kirk Cousins, who's the established starter. Um, But, you know, Cousins is in his 30s. Cousins only has about two years left on his deal. Uh, So it's a great spot where maybe he can be there for a couple of years, learn, develop. And then in two years, if Cousins doesn't get re-signed, then kind of that crack in the door is open for him to potentially challenge
0: for that starting gig. Right. And I mean just one 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 more follow up. Do you think Mond should have came back and used that extra year of eligibility? Or do you think he made a good decision going to the NFL when he did? I think it was probably
1: good for him to go ahead and you know, strike while the iron is hot. Um certainly I think you know AM fans would have loved for him to come back just for the stability of that position. But um but I think especially, you know, getting that third round draft pick, um, I mean, I think absolutely go get your money while you can, man. <laughs> and yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, he he would have developed, you know, maybe a little bit more saying at a And M. But you can develop on the sidelines of an NFL team and make a you know couple million
0: bucks. So, absolutely, yeah, you got to make the money uh, while you can. But now he's gone. There's a quarterback battle raging yeah. down in College Station. Haynes King. Um, and then Zach, uh, Cal um, I don't, how do you know how to pronounce his last uh, name? Calzada. Calzada. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's I was making sure, but they're fighting for the spot, man. This is a close battle. I watched the spring game, been kind of keeping tabs on this battle because I'm, I'm interested, especially as an Auburn fan, this is one of the, the division rivals. So I need to, I want to see who gets that spot. Being a quarterback for Jimbo is a difficult task. I mean, Jimbo expects a lot out of his QBs. What do each of these guys bring to the field? And who is your favorite to be quarterback one?
1: I would say my favorite right now is probably Haynes King. Um, and I think for most Aggies, I think that's the guy that people either hope wins the job or just that they expect to win the job. Um, and honestly, almost all of that comes solely down to he was the, the more hyped up recruit. He was a like national top 100 recruit he was, I think like, you know, one of the top dual threat QBs in the country coming out of high school. He won a state championship at Longview, which is, you know, kind of traditional football power in East Texas. Um, And so he kind of has the, he has the pedigree. He has a lot of the hype behind him. Um, And he definitely is more of like the more athletic quarterback, Um, you know, because they say like he is legitimately one of the fastest guys on the team. Um, So I think he's the one that, I think probably is the favorite, but also is the front runner just in the fans' perspective. Um, but that said, you know, Calzada is a guy that he he has a whole year on him in the system, so he probably is going to know Jimbo's system better. And as you said, it's a system that it can take a while to pick up, and Jimbo can be really demanding on his quarterbacks. Um, and Calzada, you know, has a rocket for an arm. He was a guy that you know wasn't super highly rated as a recruit, but he was a three-star out of. Um, a relatively like poor performing team in Georgia. Um, and he was a long time aim and commit that actually Georgia made a big push to sign right uh, before signing day two years ago. Um, and he was one that we were lucky to hang on to, to be honest. Um, so I think both guys have the skills. It's just going to come down to, you know, mo- who Jimbo trusts the most, who Jimbo feels like the team trusts the most. Um, Cause I know he's, Jimbo has, you know, been quoted before that essentially he says the team will tell you who the starting quarterback needs to be. And that's what he always said about Kellen Mond is that everything else aside that you know Kellen was the team leader, Kellen was the guy that the team, you know, wanted out there on the field. Um so while you know, I put it out there that Haynes King is kind of the guy I'd like to see, I'm also I'm not in the locker room, I'm not at practice every day. Uh so you know, I have full trust in whoever Jimbo puts out there game one that that's the guy that needs to be there
0: right and I mean the offense is important and that's kind of been a staple for Texas A&M even going back to Kevin Sullivan the offense is elite the defense questionable but when I look at that when I look at the Aggies this year the defense returns nine starters I mean that secondary has a lot of talent on the back end Mike Elko has been tasked with rebuilding this unit. I think he's done an outstanding job yeah. at recruiting, developing talent. Do you think this is going to be the best defense that A&M has rolled out in, in a long time? And what do you think the like potential is for this defense? Do you think it's the top 10 defense, top 15, top 20? What are you kind of expecting in terms of on-the-field performance?
1: Yeah, I would absolutely say I think you know this is going to be the best defense a ms had in probably about 20 years. Um and that's, like you said, it's it's returning nine starters from a defense that was, I think, you know, pretty close to a top 20 defense last year already. Um, and especially against the run, they were, I think, with the top the top run defense in the SEC. Um, and not only just returning those starters, but also just getting Mike Elko back for one more year, because he's a guy that the past two off seasons you've heard in rumors around head coaching jobs. I think it's happened at Temple um, this past year, it was, it was Kansas, um, so I think luckily for us, it sounds like while well, he's he's interested in the head coaching job, he's he's being patient and biting his time, waiting for that right opportunity. So, you know, even if this is our last year with him, I think we're you know, we're just try to squeeze as much out of him as we can because <laughs> um, I think he's done a great job, um, and it's just and it's a defense that you know more, more than anything has shown the ability to adjust and has the ability to when we're not playing Alabama, pretty much limit the big play. <laughs> um, I mean, cause that was the biggest thing under Kevin someone, I think that people just, uh, you know, pulled their hair out over was the defense. Um, cause, because the offense was always pretty solid, but the defense especially against the run was just, um, a disaster in a lot of ways. And so, To see them rebuild that defense has has been pretty impressive. And it's been, like I said, from the coaching side, you can see, like, just, you know, the guys tackle better, the coverage is better. Um, But a lot of it comes down to recruiting, too. And, you know, that's, you're bringing in guys, you know, year after year who are, you know, four stars, five stars. And so that talent level is is rising along with the uh, the continuity in the coaching staff.
0: Right. And I mean, even in spots where A&M lost people, they're bringing in people who I think are arguably have, have more potential than the person who might've left. I'm really excited for McKinley Jackson. That's one player. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a stud out of Mississippi. My cousin actually played down there at George County with him. So I've been, I've known about his name and I was really hoping as an Auburn fan, like we could pull it out of the dark. And so I'm rooting for him wherever he goes, but I think that kid's going to be a huge factor on the defensive line. But it all starts with recruiting, man. Jimbo Fisher is yep. the best of the best All in the recruiting chart, right up there with Nick Saban, Davo Sweeney, a top eight class for this 2021 cycle. Five-star uh, Shamir Turner out of DeSoto comes in. He's a stud, too. Probably one of the best defensive linemen AM and was signed in a while. What were the biggest positional needs, though, for the Aggies this cycle? And other than Turner, who are some instant impact guys that you see coming out of this class?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing about this class was exactly like you said, was kind of fortifying the trenches because um, uh, Turner comes in and, and he's, he's one of the few guys I think that could actually have an impact this year. Um, because, and that's maybe like one of the biggest compliments you can give this AM team is that in the past years, you know, when we got a top 10 class that meant you were going to have like three, four, even five freshmen starts coming out of that class. You know, this is a class where, it wouldn't surprise me if none of these guys are in the starting 22 come game one this fall. And that's just a testament to the depth and the talent the team already has. Um, but I would say offensive line was probably the biggest need A&M had in this class. Um, as you probably know, uh, you know, A&M had a great offensive line last year it was one of the you know, best lines in the country. As far as run blocking, I think they only gave up uh, like five or six sacks on the season Um, but they lost four of those five starters. And so now while a lot of those freshmen aren't going to be coming in and starting in replacing those roles, you know, when you lose four offensive linemen in one year depth, is going to be a huge issue. Um, I would say out of the freshman class, the one guy on the offensive line that has a chance at probably starting is Bryce Foster. Uh, He's a guard, guard slash center. um, But, and, but he was a four star, when I say a four star, he was like a top fifty guy. Um, and you know, you just you don't see interior linemen be like in that like high four star fringe five star rating. So that just tells you how impressive that guy was. Um but overall, yeah, this class, like I would say the most impressive thing about it, like you said, ranked eighth in the country. But so often you have a class that's ranked eighth and it's filled with a lot of it's filled with like safeties and receivers and a lot of skill position guys this is a class where yeah it's top 10 but like the guys at the very top of the class are guys in the trenches um and so you know that's obviously been jimbo's focus um is building from the inside out um
0: and you know and we're seeing the results of that on the field right And, I mean, we see it every year, these breakout players come out of nowhere for these teams across the country to compete in the SEC. You're going to have to have players step up into roles and be immediate contributors. So looking at the roster right now, coming out of spring practice, going into summer workouts, which players do you have your eye on as potential breakout players for the 2021 season?
1: As far as breakouts go, obviously you know there, there are several like guys that are you know stars, like potential top NFL draft picks that I think everybody already knows. Um, but I'll list a couple of that that maybe if you're not a Nike fan, you might not be as familiar with. Um, first of all, is is Demani Richardson, our, our junior safety uh, at Walksahachi. He uh, and you know he he started last year. He actually played a good bit the year before as well, so he's very established in his role. Um, but I think this would be the really year, the year where he really breaks out, and he just, you know, you just see him all over the field making plays. Uh, and even in the spring game, you know, he, he had a had a pick six. So I think defensively, I'd say he's my big guy to really make a big impact this year. Um, on offensive player that uh, is probably going to get overshadowed, but I think may some surprise some folks is Baylor Cup, who's Anim's technically our second string tight end. Um, but you know, don't let that label fool you because he was a five-star, like number one tight end in the country coming out of high school. Um, now it just so happened that like the past two years, he had injuries in fall camp and it cost him his entire first two seasons in college station. Um, and of course, Jalen Weidermeyer took full advantage of that who came in in the same class that, that Baylor cup did, um, and Weidermeyer has now established himself. He's rated by some people as the top tight end in the country going into 2021. Um, so, obviously, you know, you may have a log jam there, but it wouldn't surprise me if Jimbo starts using two tight end sets with those guys. I mean, because both of them, you know, I know for a fact, Weidermeyer, you know, he can block, he can, you know, be in there on run sport when he needs to, but, you know, both of them can go out wide and create matchup nightmares for defenses. Um, so, I think that's something we can probably expect to see only because you have two guys that are so talented that it's like, it just makes no sense to not try to get them both on the field when you can. Um, right. and then, um, yeah, and one more that's probably like not necessarily a breakout cause he's already pretty known is Anaya Smith. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he's kind of, he's played out wide. He's played in the slot. he's played running back when we needed to a few times. Um, but he's the guy that just, jack of all trades and he, he's like just shifty and quick and you know he'll do everything you need him to do and he was you know one of those guys that he was a three-star recruit coming out of high school he was someone who he like he signed on signing day and was kind of one of those players that you know the the rumor mill was that the only reason that a took him was because of the guys that they missed out on that were higher up on the list um, but from the first game he played freshman year you know, you could tell the guy was a difference maker. Um, so he's someone that I think, especially if AM does have, you know, maybe that offensive line isn't as good as it was last year. If you have a young QB, um, I think he could be a great release valve, you know, a great short short passing game option to just get the ball in that guy's hands and let him go.
0: Yeah, I, I like Smith a lot. I mean, he, he looked really good in some of y'all's biggest games last year. I mean, really carried A&M down the stretch and also – with the two tight ends set, I I think you're going to see that a lot. I think this year is one of the stronger years of tight ends in the SEC overall. A&M has two. Now Georgia has two with Gilbert and Washington. Billingsley at Bama is going to be a bigger role. So I I, I think the tight end class in the SEC is going to be really one to watch. So I'm excited to see that. But looking ahead to the schedule, I think uh, everyone understands – You're in the SEC, West. It's a tough schedule. Regardless of what you schedule non-conference, it's tough because you play in the SEC. Road games, though, against – I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy to some people, but Colorado isn't going to be an easy road game non-conference. They almost made the Pac-12 championship last year. Ole Miss, LSU on the road are two difficult environments. Then you still have Alabama and Auburn on that schedule for you, right now, as we record in June, what is the ceiling and or floor for the 2021 Texas A&M Aggies? I would say, I mean, you know, ceiling, as
1: much as it may be unlikely, I mean, I think the ceiling is 12-0 and and going to Atlanta. Um, you know, is, is that a tough road? Absolutely. But I think A&M's, you know, they've got, they've done the recruiting. You know, this is year four of Jimbo, not, and not only Jimbo, but Jimbo with the same two coordinators for the past four years. Um. So you've got the continuity. You've got the recruiting. So I mean, everything's in place to for Anum to make a run if the chips fall the right way. Um, So the sky is the limit as far as how far they can go. As far as floor, um, I want to say nine and three. I mean, it might be eight and four. You know, because it's like you said, there's so much unknown in the SEC because you know LSU was terrible last year, but. You have to think, you know, they're still so talented that they're going to have some kind of rebound and come back to being being a pretty good team. Um, You, know, Ole Miss showed flashes last year, um, and so you know that's a team that yeah, I think everyone everyone's going to be scared of them every week, no matter you know what happens. Like that offense looks good enough that it could beat almost anybody any given day. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's and but that's just like that's life in the SEC is that from year to year, you know, there's going to be some really great teams. You just don't always know which teams it's going to be. <laughs> right. And yeah. and I was saying, one other thing for A&M is, uh, as strange as it seems, You know, we're playing Auburn at home this year, which normally would sound like a good thing, except for the fact that <laughs> we have not beaten Auburn a single time at Kyle Field since we joined the SEC.
0: Yeah. That's that, that uh, been a,
1: a weird series.
0: <laughs> as an Auburn fan, I mean, that Texas A&M series is just crazy. I mean, every year it's a good game, regardless of – how good A&M is or how good Auburn is, it's just one of those games you can never overlook. And I, I want to get down to Kyle Fields so bad. I actually was supposed to go, and I think it was 16, and then I had like something happen with a family member, and I couldn't go. And so I, I got all my – my like list of stadiums I have to visit, but a, kind of a follow up here. We saw the Nick Saban Jimbo Fisher back and forth, where he was like, "We're the next dynasty," and Saban was like, "He's going to beat me in golf." Yeah, uh, th- th- you know, not necessarily looking at that, but looking at how much pressure is really on Jimbo to get over the hump and win the SEC. Like we saw Auburn get rid of Gus Malzahn because he couldn't consistently get over the hump. You see. Programs in the SEC constantly get rid of coaches sooner than expected because of that. How much pressure is really on Jimbo right now?
1: Um, I mean, I would say, like, certainly Aggies are hungry to um, to take that next step. Um, that said, because of Jimbo's contract, you know, and that seventy five million dollars we gave him three years ago, he still got seven million, seven million. I mean, sorry, seven years and and more than fifty million dollars left on that deal. So I think. From a logistics perspective, there's not a lot of pressure on him because he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, right. but that said, I think certainly everyone wants to see the program continue to progress, and you know you want to see yourself in that upper tier of the s e c but at some point, that has to include a trip to atlanta um and right. I don't think that has to be this year, but it's something that if that if that never happens, then certainly you look at that and you say. Well, no matter what other like great things occurred, and you know what great teams you built, like you didn't you didn't get where we were
0: wanting to go. Right? Yeah, and I always like to ask that question just because different. I mean, being an Auburn fan, we have the craziest expectations on our program just out of nowhere. And then I've I've talked to, to some programs, and they're like, "Yeah, there's never any expectations here. It's just." Get get to seven and five and w- 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 you're good. And so I always like to kind of see what the tone of the environment is. But you know, l- last question here, man. You know, I said College Station, Kyle Field's all my list of places I want to go. But for people who haven't been yet, we have this wonderful background. It was super easy to find. Like some some stadiums, I struggle finding a good picture for the background for the interview. Kyle Field's not one of those. That was such an easy, awesome, awesome <laughs> stadium. What makes this environment so special and unique on game days?
1: I think the biggest thing that makes Kyle field, what it is, is the student section. Um, You know, A&M has 30,000 plus students at every game, standing up the whole game, taking up the entire, you know, basically the entire side of the stadium that's behind the visiting team. Um, And it's that combined with just the kind of unique traditions that A&M brings, you know, it's not just loud. It's, you know, it's it's all like it's the yell leaders. It's revelry on the sidelines. Anum has so many like just little like, and some of them are silly. Some traditions are are kind of you know off the wall, but it's all part of what makes going to a game there not just intimidating and not just fun, but it makes it a unique experience. um And you know, like you said, like so many other fan bases, it's you know, there's a hundred thousand people there, but. Anum hasn't had the success of, you know, an Alabama or even even an LSU or an Auburn recently. Um, so I think it's a fan base that's very hungry to have that success. Is very hungry to have those those big games that actually mean something in November. So, you know, I think people are just kind of ready to burst at the seams <laughs> if this team can finally get it over the hump.
0: Yeah, I'm excited because if you got if if this program gets into the playoffs. Whatever, wherever it's hosted, like if, if it's hosted in like Dallas, I cannot wait to see those Aggie fans travel because I, I would bet it's 80-20. Because I remember I was a student in twenty sixteen at Auburn when A and M came to visit. It was my first ever time seeing A and M play. I tell people all the time they might have outnumbered Auburn fans and Jordan Hare. <laughs> that I mean, they traveled so much. I was in the student section and I looked to my right and it was just maroon as far as i could see and i was like what happened did we just sell all our <laughs> tickets to the a&m fans and i mean they were loud and they're passionate like you said and so i can't wait to get down there but man i appreciate you coming on this was one of the interviews i was looking forward to a&m is such an interesting program right now and so i appreciate you coming on but where can our listeners find you social media the website all that kind of stuff this time is yours great man uh, well, yeah. So, so I'm a managing editor
1: at GoodBullHunting.com, and as you said, that's the uh, the team site for Texas A&M through the SB Nation network. Um, and beyond that, uh, you can find me primarily on Twitter, and I'm at RCB05.
0: Yep. So, guys, go fo- go follow Robert. Man, I told y'all this is our, I think, second straight SB Nation guest. So, make sure to go check out those sites. They got some of the best people writing for them. So, make sure to go check them out. Also, make sure to catch some Texas A&M games this year. This program is going to be one you're going to want to watch. Y'all know where to find us, man. YouTube, any and all streaming platforms. Um, Make sure to subscribe. Give this video a thumbs up so we can get this content out there. But, guys, for Robert, for myself, and for the Blue Bloods, we are out.